0: Welcome to Nurturing Bright Futures, the higher education podcast for teachers and advisors, brought to you by UEA. Each month, we provide the latest information you need to guide your students through their journey to university, plus hints and tips to help support you in your work. We know you're busy, so we keep each episode to around 20 minutes, just long enough for a cup of coffee. So pop the kettle on and let's get started.
1: Hello and welcome to Nurturing Bright Futures, the HE podcast from UEA. My name's Alex and this month I'm really pleased to be joined by two special guests. First of all we've got Becky who is an Outreach Officer here at UEA. Hi Becky. Hello Alex. Uh, Now Becky, the role you do is pretty similar to the HE advisors who are normally here on the podcast with me but can you just tell me about how it
2: differs? So my role as an outreach officer and the outreach officer team, we tend to work on trying to widen access to university. So that means working with groups that wouldn't traditionally go to university, whether that's from people from certain areas of the country, so East Anglia, for example, has quite low participation uh, in higher education. Those who might find barriers to higher education, so uh, those with disabilities looked after children, for example, um, and also people that are mature learners, um, Those doing alternative qualifications like BTECs, essentially trying to improve um, equality across um, the country through higher education as it's shown that it can improve social mobility and it can improve um, the economy in areas and also people's own futures um, in that regard. So what sort of activities do you do to try and promote that? So majority of what we do is quite similar to the higher education advisors in going into schools and doing lots of talks just to raise awareness about university, as the main thing is information, just ensuring that information gets out to schools and colleges and students in schools and colleges. Talking about things like how to apply to university, what university is like, but also a lot of on-campus events. Um, They can be quite specific, so subject-specific ones, for example, like DNA fingerprinting days and those sort of things, but also uh, more broad uh, ones like summer schools and those type of things as well. Are there any particular projects that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, so um, my role is as a post-16 outreach officer. So I work uh, predominantly in colleges uh, working with BTEC students and those doing other alternative qualifications, um, access, for example, working alongside that. So um, as BTEC learners are more vocational in the way they study and they may study slightly differently to those studying A-levels, I help them draw on their... um, positives and the benefits of doing a BTEC course so when they apply to university they can have a smooth transition and also how they can sell themselves um, in a university application as well because they have great uh, benefits of studying a BTEC and then going to university.
1: Cause I, do you think there's sometimes a perception that BTEC students and university, that you know that, that doesn't mix, they're not right for university?
2: I think there is a quite a common misconception that um, a lot of BTEC students think, I'm practical, I'm vocational, so I will go do an apprenticeship, I'll go straight into work. Whereas there's a lot of benefits of them going on to higher education. And we want BTEC students because they are some of the best and brightest students in the country. They are very practical, they're really good at their placements, for example, um, the coursework, their time management. And all skills that we look for at university so if it's not for everyone if you don't want to go to higher education but certainly make that show there's an awareness that you can if you want to the same as apprenticeships can be available for A-level students giving that informed choice and allowing basically students that deserve to go to university if they want to that place um, is the crux of everything we do.
1: So for teachers and advisors the key thing would be just passing those messages on that universities do want you um, and are there any kind of extra resources or training or anything that can help teachers and advisors with that
2: yeah i'd say the one that i always direct my teachers and advisors to is the preparing for university uh, course on FutureLearn. it's a really good course for year one or year two um, btecs and a level students as well to help them get an awareness of what university is going to be like to study so they see if their study skills are suitable and they want to study in that way but it's also really useful for after they've applied to help them transition so they can adapt the current skills they've got to help them. But also what I'd recommend is making really clear to your students that they're not at a disadvantage if they've got a BTEC. They've actually got a big advantage in a lot of respects with having skills in numerous things like the ability to do coursework, the ability to time manage well, that we accept and welcome those skills. but we we also champion them. We really want you to come in and um, make a diverse student body through lots of different qualifications and lots of different skills.
1: That all sounds great. Um, Becky I'm just aware that the team you work in cover the east of England and obviously we'll have listeners who are further afield. Is this something um, that they'll be able to access from other universities?
2: So it's completely dependent on the school or college. Um, There are schools and colleges that have large groups of students who are from wide participation backgrounds, what they call them. Uh, So have certain target students, so those that are asylum seekers, those that are looked after children, those um, with certain postcode data that we traditionally work in more, certainly how we work in Norfolk, um, and it's probably very similar with outreach teams across the country. But if you are one of those schools that is an area where lots of people don't traditionally go to higher education, then you will most likely have an outreach officer that would be working in your school um, we are called different things we're sometimes called wine and participation officers or you might have a higher education champion or someone through the ncop or UniConnect um services as well so do utilize those if you are in one of those areas but we work seamlessly alongside um the re- recruitment teams at universities as well um so it You should get access to these kind of talks either through us or through them as well. So there will be information, advice and guidance available for you no matter who you are listening. Um, Outreach is just a bit more targeted great
1: and some of the initiatives that you're involved in are overlaps. so for example the channel talent online guest lectures Um, you guys uh, will lead those but they're available to absolutely any school anywhere for free aren't they
2: yes so if you have any specific learners from groups that would be considered uh, for widening participation um, those with disabilities BTEC learners for example we are going to be putting more um, guest lectures on uh, channel talent for that so if you want to know more from um, a continuous uh, professional development perspective or for your students to actually listen to as well and um, we will be talking about how to go to university from one of those subgroups as well
1: great and anyone can sign up for those at channeltalent.co.uk
2: yep and just click on the link
0: nurturing bright futures
1: the higher education advice podcast for teachers
0: and advisors brought to you by uea
2: So yeah, I'd like to welcome Ben Garrod. Ben is a Professor of Evolutionary Biology and Science Engagement here at UEA, as well as a conservationist, author and award-winning broadcaster. Hello, Ben. Hi. So um, I'm just going to ask you some questions today about all sorts of things, UEA and um, all of your work. So first, you've lived and worked all over the world. What made you want to come to UEA?
3: I have. So I'm Norfolk, born and bred. I was born and raised in Great Yarmouth, which I'm very proud of. But the world's a big place and I grew up in pubs and we had sailors and lorry drivers and, and people who travelled all around the world for different different jobs and I thought, why can't I? So the moment I was old enough, I was 17 and maybe I think just turned 18 and I disappeared to Madagascar for, for nearly seven months. Never really been outside Britain. I've been to... Greece a couple of times with mum and dad as a kid but this idea that I could go and do it it was always instilled in me since I was very small and I've been to Madagascar and worked lived out there the Arctic right across Africa China Indonesia South America worked and lived in all these places but I love coming back to Norfolk because partly it's home but also because it's, it's a really special place in terms of its wildlife for me. There's, there's some things here you will never see anywhere else in the world. And I think we lose sight that it's just Norfolk or it's quaint old Norfolk. It's not. It's internationally important. And I, I love that.
2: Be- beats Madagascar any day. <laughs> um, and what have been some of the highlights of your first
3: year? So, yeah, as I've been here for a year um, just a couple of weeks ago. So I'm just Happy cel- anniversary. thank you very much. Um and I'm celebrating celebrating still being here and I love it. I really enjoy being at UEA because it goes back to that, that previous question, it's, it's very, very local. So we've got 17,000, 18,000 students here, but 25% of those are from the Norfolk area. And yeah. that's something we should really celebrate, but it's not just a local university. It's a local university that has international potential. And I've been talking to friends and colleagues and students here, and there's everything from a local focus really into a niche of, of local species or local, local uh, history, right up to people who are working with, with space. So UEA is one of these wonderful places that celebrates and endorses the local, but actually the sky's not even the limit anymore. The space is the limit. And there are very few places that I've been to and worked. I've worked at, this is my fourth university now, mm-hmm. where we can have that wonderful spectrum of, of focus but also potential.
2: Um, and has there been any highlights of this year for you, anything particularly that um, has been groundbreaking or anything like that?
3: It, with any job you think with first year, i Go in quite gently. That's not the case here at yeah. all. And that's really nice, actually. So I've just finished a block of teaching with a bunch of my undergraduates, first years who've just come in, and we're looking at evolutionary biology. So everything from the weird and wonderful sex lives of animals right through to what makes us human and what drives evolutionary change. And that that engagement with students is lovely because we're really exploring some fundamental but quite difficult concepts. And that that's that's my highlight. But also we've done some other amazing things as well. We've just opened this incredible brand new science building. Um, I can see it from the window actually just next to us here. Um, It will allow us again to exploit that international potential here. So I was here the day it was opened. I brought a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Jane Goodall, um, quite a renowned um, primatologist and conservationist. She came and opened this building and... the legacy now is here for generations ahead so this incredible new building and the staff and the research that will go on in there is something we should really celebrate and that's been a massive highlight for me. We've also had Norwich Science Festival, with which UEA is heavily involved, and, and a whole bunch of other things. So yeah, in terms of my first year, it's been it, I've hit the ground running, which yeah, is lovely.
2: Certainly. No, no easing in there no, for you at no. all. Um, and also, on top of everything else, you're a patron of the Youth STEM Award. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that award?
3: Yeah, so something that's really important to me is that I'm still involved with a lot of local charities. So I'm a trustee for the Norfolk Wildlife Trust, I'm patron for the Norwich Science Festival, and also patron for Youth STEM Awards. <laughs> In a nutshell, and I think they'd probably slap my wrist for saying this, the way I tell someone who's never heard of it before, it's if you know what Duke of Edinburgh awards are, we all do, this is the equivalent for geeks. Oh, amazing. And I'm a geek, and we should be really proud to be geeky. If you want to get into science or technology, engineering, maths or medicine, this is something where you can earn effectively qualifications, which which are recognised higher up the tree. Mm-hmm. And we're doing this, um, the Youth STEM Awards, right from school age, right up to we hopefully now including university level as well. Amazing. And we're starting to see the, the fruits of the labour of, of people who are going through, young people going through this. And they're having to do community work, and they're having to do different areas of of expertise and and, uh training and volunteering in order to attain their bronze silver and gold Mm -hmm. it's a really nice way to allow young people to get a taster of these different areas of stem Mm um as well as gaining experience that we can then look at higher up say right you've done this you've done that wonderful let's 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 work with your skills now
2: and can be put on personal statements. And
3: Absolutely, yeah. And this is something that started in Norfolk. And this is a, another great example of why Norfolk's so good in so many ways. It's starting in Norfolk, and we're really building a, a powerhouse here. But hopefully, my ambition and, and the rest of Youth STEM Awards team is to roll this out nationally, mm. because this is such a good project. And I know they've already got collaborative partners right across the British Isles right now. So watch this space. This is something that will be endorsed and definitely helping careers of young people who want to show that they're not just going through the school and college process which is important but making yourself have these extra skills you're effectively a little swiss army knife Mm. if you've got these extra abilities these extra skills these extra extra usps that's only a good thing
2: Mm. and what age group is it for
3: it goes right through from uh, late primary. I think you've got to be. I think it's twelve at the moment, right through to uh, FE level and coming into university level as well. So it's right across the spectrum. And the nice thing is, we're tailoring it according to the age groups as well. So it's not pandering to the the younger kids, especially, and it's not above their heads either with just mm-hmm. the older students either. So it's it, by going through bronze, silver, and gold, you have very much got to tailor your own contribution. But it's I mean I'm doing it myself right now. I'm trying to get yeah, I'm trying to get my silver award and it's really hard. Go for gold, go I'm for trying, gold. but it takes me long enough to get my my bronze and silver to, to be fair. But it and it's really nice. And the students who and young people who do go through this, you're really seeing this sense of achievement. In the same way the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, it, students who go through that really feel they've achieved. This is the cognitive or this is the the, the academic equivalent of that, and it's working really well.
2: And how do people sign up?
3: They can get in touch with the Youth STEM Award team, Um, you can quite easily Google them, Uh, just Google Youth STEM Award and and get in touch and you can either sign up as a school or as an institute um, uh, as a whole or you can do it individually as well and again the team tailors your contribution uh, accordingly. Um, it's something that would be great as a school group or as a a team within a school and it's something that, that staff and careers advisors and right up to an SMT level can actually help their students and it looks great for the college, for the school as well on top of that again it's, I can't see why you would say no
2: really No, nor can I Subscribe to our podcast now and make
0: sure you never miss another episode
2: so, I'm going to ask you a bit more now about um, your actual teaching in the School of Biological Sciences here at UEA. What advice and gui- uh, guidance would you give for teachers and advisors listening who may have students considering studying biology at university?
3: My only advice is absolutely go for it. Yeah. I'm, of course I'm biased, but uh, there's, I've got friends and colleagues who work in different areas of science and non scientists alike, and I think the same applies to everyone really. If you want to get into, okay, my area is obviously biology and specifically evolutionary biology. Don't turn up blind. Have a little bit of a, just whether you Google it, whether you Google some TED Talks, whether you, and you go through that with students and actually give them a taster. If you go to a buffet at a restaurant, you don't have a whole plate of one thing. Well, if you do, it's weird. You yeah. have a little bit of a taste here, there and everywhere and you try different things first. Why wouldn't we push that out across before- beforehand? If you've got a student or a bunch of students who are really keen or actually not entirely certain they want to do something, then don't, don't wait until they're at university to try it for the first time. Sure. Have a look. There are opportunities out there and it can be daunting. We don't teach evolutionary biology or primatology or tropical biology so, uh, conservation at a school or college level. It doesn't mean you can't go and explore that with them as well because it's engaging it's fun but it's it's a nice way to get a taster so i would absolutely advise just try these things go and have a look and and go on that learning sort of uh, journey with the students Mm. really
2: absolutely um finally i'm sure a lot of our listeners um have seen you on bbc's baby chimp rescue program um and so i can't let you go without asking for an update how are they getting on
3: Yes, so we've just had this wonderful BBC Two series come out, Baby Chimp Rescue, and it was following a couple of friends of mine, Jimmy and Jenny Desmond, who have been saving orphaned chimpanzees in Liberia, in West Africa, over the last several years. And our series followed, over 18 months, how the kids, I call them kids, they're they're non-human kids, they're they're orphaned chimpanzees, they are kids to me, Um, how they're coming in from various conservation threats. So... Habitat destruction, uh, the bushmeat trade, the commercial pet trade, and they're coming into the Desmonds through confiscations, and we wanted to do a series that promoted them in a cute and cuddly way to really engage the audience, but at the same time not lose any of that strong conservation message, which we've managed to maintain, I think. And they've done really well, but the series did end on a bit of a cliffhanger, so Mm -hmm. you don't know yet whether they've managed to get enough money to, to build the sanctuary, and also whether that sanctuary's gone ahead. In terms of next steps... I feel
2: a sequel coming.
3: Oh, I can't say any more (laughs) than that right now. Hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, I can get a definite answer. But I would love to go back and... Well, I'm going back regardless, but I'd love to go back with a film crew and show what happens next, show how the kids are doing and also try and showcase some of the international issues relating around this because once we've done this with chimps we can do it with whales and dolphins or parakeets or macaws or trees it's just a wonderful way of looking at science in a very engaging way and that's fundamentally what it all ties down to whether it's me writing my books or doing tv or teaching it's how do you make science engaging to a different audience and it might be students or the public or a very niche minority in some way shape or form and i think that's something that students are coming up now are doing in different ways it's promoting science it's engaging with science it's telling the narrative of that scientific story and there's nothing better
2: well i wish you the best of luck with all your future endeavors i hope you get some sleep in between all of these projects and i wish you and your extended family of kids um the best of luck in the future as well thank you
0: email schools at uea.ac.uk to find out what we can do to support your school
1: Thanks very much to Becky and Ben for joining me on this month's podcast. As you may have realised, we recorded those chats before the coronavirus outbreak, but please be assured that our UEA recruitment and outreach teams are still working hard from their homes to continue to offer you support and guidance. If you already work with us, you can email your usual contact. Otherwise, you can still email general inquiries to schools at uea.ac.uk. We know it must be a worrying time for you and your students so we're offering a range of online webinars for students, teachers and parents as well as online taster lectures and a selection of MOOCs. To view the programme visit uea.ac.uk forward slash study forward slash webinars. We hope you're staying well in these challenging times and please do get in touch to let us know how we can help you.
0: That's it for this month's episode of Nurturing Bright Futures. We would absolutely love to hear from you. To book a visit, make a suggestion or ask us a question, drop us a line at schools at uea.ac.uk. Thanks for joining us.